This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about Pan de Muerto. Pan de Muerto. I had never heard of this. Oh, really? Um, yeah, no, I know. A lot of these episodes yeah. we're doing, we've done around Dia de los Muertos. I, I have been woefully <laughs> ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was excited to learn about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it is uh, super tasty, a favorite, like, seasonal holiday treat of mine. Um, and I... Uh, uh, we're we're lucky here in Atlanta to have a really wide group of of different immigrants from around the world and a bunch of really great international markets. And uh, so yeah, so there I, I miss living um, up on Beaufort Highway where I had like kind of immediate access to stuff like this. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, which yeah, I mean I'm assuming. That's why this was on your mind, is because... <laughs> yes, yes, because El Dia de los Muertos uh, was November 1st and 2nd, and uh, uh, yeah, so here we are. Here we are. Uh, you can see our Marigold episode, uh, where we did talk about some of the stuff that we're going to talk about in here. Yeah, uh, maybe uh, kind of generally uh, tortillas and uh, tamales, Um Mm-hmm. Any kind of bread-related thing, I suppose. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I guess that brings us to our question. I guess it does. Pan de Muerto. What is it? Well, uh, pan de muerto is a type of a uh, rich, soft, yeast-raised sweet bread. It's made with a uh, fluffy white wheat flour, uh, dense with a lot of egg and milk and butter, uh, sweetened with a little bit of granulated sugar in the dough and more sprinkled over the crust usually, and uh, flavored warm and bright and floral with uh, orange blossom water, and often a bit of orange zest, anise, and or cinnamon. 
It's shaped into round loaves or, or buns and decorated on top with these kind of bulbous ropes of dough that are meant to resemble crossed bones. Uh, and that is because it is a traditional treat surrounding El Dia de los Muertos, which is a holiday celebrating loved ones who have died and which incorporates a lot of skeletal imagery. It's uh, It literally means bread of the dead. Uh, Pan de Muertos, yes. Um, and Dia de los Muertos is Day of the Dead. Sure, totally. Here we go. Yes. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so Pan de Muertos, it's like a dessert brioche or hala that reminds you that death is part of life. Yeah. Um, mm. It's like, um, it's, it, it is fragrant and, and comforting, um, like, a, like a warm, bright light in the dark, just welcoming you home. Oh, I love that. No, oh. it's beautiful. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and okay, I've seen a bunch of different recipes, a bunch of different like types of recipes for how to work the ingredients together. But basically, you're looking to make a really rich, fatty, moist dough with uh, with with stuff like milk, butter, or lard, um, and eggs, either all whole eggs or um, maybe plus some extra yolks. Uh, you leaven it with uh, friendly bread yeasts, which eat some of the sugars and the flour and poop, carbon dioxide bubbles, and flavors. Yeast poop. You let it rise, you punch it down, then shape your loaves and let them rise again before baking to a fluffy golden brown. Once they're out of the oven, you uh, might glaze them with an egg or butter wash as a glue and then sprinkle on granulated sugar like glitter. Um, uh, colored sugars are optional. Bright pink or red are popular depending on the area that you're in. And the shape is said to be symbolic, uh, maybe symbolic of the of the mounded earth of a grave with like bones peeking up out of it, or maybe like the circle of life, or maybe the tears that we shed for the dead, or the tears that the dead shed for us. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Uh, or maybe. <laughs> um, maybe red or pink represents the blood of the dead who died wounded. Other shapes can be made with the bread. You can uh, make it into a donut shape or a doll shape or like a chubby little skeleton with slashes and pinches of dough for the arms and legs and head. In parts of Oaxaca, you might add an edible painted face or, or skull onto the finished bread. In other areas, motifs could involve flowers or animals, real or mythical. You might make it into the shape of a cross or an angel or braided bones. There are all kinds. Of variations, um, and especially in flavoring, um, like how much sugar do you use? Do you want just the orange blossom water? Is anise important to balance out the sweetness? Is orange zest what really makes it shine? Is cinnamon the warming element that you need? I mean, do you want to add chocolate chips? I cannot stop you, and I would not furthermore. <laughs> um, if you want to add other herbs or spices like lavender or cardamom, um, maybe a filling or, or a stuffing of cream, chocolate, guava paste, goat milk caramel, rice pudding, flan, ice cream. Uh, I've seen it topped with sesame seeds or pumpkin seeds for like a less sweet, more savory kind of take, um, or like going all in with like a sweet white chocolate or dark chocolate or like sticky bun glaze. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And they're beautiful. Like they're oh, really, yeah. a lot of them are really pretty to look at. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've really only had like the very basic kind, um, but now I'm like, oh, okay, need to find, need yes. to find and or create some of these variants. Um, mm -hmm. uh, another variant, it's not, a, it's not always a wheat flour dough. Um, corn doughs can be used. And 
like these are a lot of examples, but it's honestly just scratching the surface. Um, you know, like if there's one that is that is precious to you, please write in. Yes, please write in. Oh <laughs> and some pictures if you have them. Yes, yes. Recipes. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Um, pan de muerto is mostly served as like a snack surrounding El Dia de los Muertos, maybe with like a nice hot coffee or a hot chocolate. Um, they can also be incorporated into ofrendas, which are um, sort of shrines or altars to loved ones who have passed and which furthermore incorporate those loved ones' favorite foods and drinks, along with, you know, like photos, um, some marigolds, you know, bright and fragrant orange yellow, um, some sugar skulls, some some calaveras, which are skeletons usually that are like doing stuff like, I don't know, like being a fireman or um, playing soccer. I'm not sure. Yeah, what, whatever they want to do. Candles, incense, other decor. Afrendas are like meant to remind you of the deceased and what they loved in life and to welcome them back to celebrate with you. Pan de Muerto is traditionally made at home, but especially leading up to the holiday, you can find it in bakeries and from street vendors all around Mexico, um, where it is mostly from, um, and also other places where the holiday is celebrated and or where Mexican people have immigrated. Yes. Well, what about the nutrition? No, oh, there's it. De- it depends, but it's pr- it's probably a treat. Treats are nice. Treats are nice. Mm-hmm. Treats are nice. Um, we don't have uh, much in the way for numbers for you, but we have one. <laughs> yes, one that I found, <laughs> um, and I actually saw a lot of different versions of this number. So, okay, grain of salt, <laughs> um, but. Bakeries across Mexico prepare over 400 types of pan de muerto during El Dia de los Muertos. So there's a lot of different types. Um, and there are a lot of different, like, specific regional variations I found. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yes. Um, and right. Uh, yeah, that that number was in Nat Geo. So I'm sure. Why not? Yeah. Most of them I found were less, and I'm inclined to believe there are more, actually. So, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but but to say there are a lot of different numbers. Um, but that brings us to the history. Oh, yes. Uh, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip together. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at (laughs) discoverpuertorico.com. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with a not-so-fun disclaimer. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yes, uh, a lot of the language in um, resources I found around this topic was slash is, because some of them were pretty recent, uh-huh. pretty offensive, um, and also very skewed, uh, which we're going to talk about in oh, this yeah. section. Um, that being said... A lot of sources claim that this bread traces back to the arrival of Spanish colonizers to what is now Mexico and surrounding areas in the 1500s. Yes. Okay. So when the Spanish showed up, uh, the group in power was, uh, was or, or the, the, the reigning power, sure, uh, was perhaps what's least confusingly known as the Triple Alliance, um, often called the Aztec Empire. Uh, Aztec is actually a more modern term that got retroactively applied, and it's been applied unevenly to different peoples. So, yes, I'm going to stick with the Triple Alliance, referring to the empire made up of these three city-states in what's now known as the Valley of Mexico. Okay? Okay. Although there were a blend of peoples and traditions in the area, one of the big community festivals at the time was this month-long celebration of the dead, um, which happened in the ninth month of their calendar, right around like late July, early August, aka harvest season. Uh, And various pieces of this tradition stretch back like 3,000 years, Um, but by this point, a large part of it involved honoring a goddess known as the Lady of the Dead and the Keeper of the Underworld, um, Mictecasuat. Who my Nawad is not good. I apologize. I'm making efforts. Uh, but yeah, so so <laughs> she and her husband were portrayed as having these skeletal faces and as wearing uh, necklaces of skulls and severed hands. Um, and there was dance and offerings and food all month long. And, you know, humans like bread. Um, yep. <laughs> it's almost certain that some kind of bread type product was part of these traditions. Um, there were definitely bread type offerings made to other gods, uh, like the Tenochtitlan patron god of the sun and of war, um, and also uh, to spirits of the dead, like those of women who had died in childbirth, uh, perhaps especially their first childbirth. However, okay, a few things. Um, wheat did not exist in the area until colonization. Um, any bread offerings at the time would have been flatbreads, including tortillas or tamales uh, made with amaranth or corn. Granulated sugar had not reached the area either. Um, Honey might have been used as a sweetener. 
The Spanish were also the ones who brought oranges, um, though those did catch on like particularly fast in the area. But okay, so yes, that is the type of bread that we would have been dealing with. Uh, meanwhile, uh, symbols used for decorations of ritual breads sometimes included uh, butterflies, which are a fall seasonal thing in the area because monarch butterflies migrate south for the winter from like all the way up through what's now Canada every fall. Uh, so some cultures, uh, especially up in the mountain forest areas of, of that part of the world, have associated the return of the monarchs with the harvest season and with the return of spirits of the dead. Um, you can still find a few butterfly symbols floating around today. Uh, so, yes, offerings of breads were a thing. Pan de muertos or any like direct corollary to it was probably not a thing when the Spanish arrived. Mm -hmm. I say probably because part of the problem in sussing out the like pre-Hispanic history of traditions in this area is that a lot of what has been told about it, like up until very recently, has been super biased Spanish colonist tellings or straight up retcons of that history, which they basically did as an excuse to take over. Like, researchers are still uncovering writings and artifacts and, like, figuring out what was really going on um, before and when the Spanish showed up. Right. And when the Spanish showed up, they immediately set about enforcing Christianity and erasing and or changing the traditions, beliefs, and culture. One of the things that they did was they looked at this seasonal fall festival and went, well, this isn't going to do. Um, so they tried to, like, reshape and refit its traditions into existing Catholic holidays. Um, for example, All Saints Day and All Souls Day, which occur on November 1st and November 2nd. Um, All Saints Day remembers and honors saints who are now in heaven, and All Souls Day is the time to pray for souls of loved ones who might be trapped in purgatory, uh, awaiting entrance into heaven. And uh, Ponte Muertos was part of all of this. Yeah. They're, they're pretty popularly told, I would call them myths, um, that Ponte Muertos was created as a substitution for barbaric rituals. Yeah, that it represented the still beating hearts and blood of virgins, or in some accounts, a specific princess, uh, as mentioned, sacrificed to pagan gods. Um, and in some sources, it was blood mixed with dough uh, in this whole thing. Uh, the myths say that traditionally used ingredients like amaranth changed to wheat because the Spanish pushed wheat making. The bread was further sweetened with sugar that the Spanish brought. Uh, red coloring was added to represent blood. And that the shape changed too, though not in all cases. Um, and it was commercialized. But notably, indigenous people fought to protect the tradition celebrating and remembering the dead. And this bread. Yeah, um... And like, okay, look, uh, upper class priests in the Triple Alliance did certainly promote and enact human sacrifice, especially during a certain period of, of their power. And those sacrifices were culturally important. Um, but like, if you just think about it, like, obviously, that wasn't a huge part of daily life for everybody. Uh, like it wouldn't have been, you know, like, woo, princess hearts all around. Let's go. Like every holiday, you wouldn't have just been munching on princess hearts. Um, like, and obviously not to the point that like the common dude down the street would need to be placated when you took away his princess heart with a symbolic heart bread. You know, like these were 
communities of, of artisans and scholars and farmers and, and, and yes, fighters and priests, but these peoples were people. Um, and reducing their cultures to, ooh, human sacrifice is silly. Uh, like, it's missing out on everything else that they have to offer the world. Um, yeah, that's, that's, Lauren's, that's Lauren's Killjoy Corner. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> um, also, uh, a book that I have not read, but I read a great interview uh, uh, with the author about, um, and I want to get a hold of a copy, is called Fifth Sun, um, A New History of the Aztecs. And that author is uh, one Camilla Townsend. It seems like it's digging into a lot of uh, scholarly work, uh, writings from people of the time and, you know, kind of trying to, yeah, 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 put, put together a more realistic and more rounded view of what these peoples were up to. Yes, um, which is very important, and I would like to read that too. Um, but as you said, the Spanish were celebrating at this time uh, All Souls Day and All Saints Day, and that goes back as far as the 10th century CE in Europe, at least. Um, and they celebrated it with pan de animas, or soul bread, which was an offering on those days that was given to honor past loved ones. Um, past loved ones, lost loved ones. Um, <laughs> so in some accounts, they they basically use this bread and tradition to overtake, erase, combine with whatever offerings were being made in order to come up with pan de muertos. Um, I also read an interesting interview with someone else that uh, he was making the argument that it might have been a bit of a metaphor that got lost. Um, okay. Okay, so that in pan de muertos, you're essentially symbolically eating the dead. Um, and the Spanish were not on board with what they called cannibalism. Um, huh. And the, <laughs> the cannibalism of the symbol, I should say. But when I read that, I was like, but like Christianity and in particular Catholicism has the whole body and blood of Christ. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's, I don't want to, I, oh man. I, <laughs> Catholics are so heckin' goth. It's like, all right, yes, yes. That, I. Body and the blood, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, at any rate, yes, yes uh, cemetery vigils and ofrendas were also part of Spanish celebrations of All Saints and All Souls Days, so. But okay, however all of this got started, um, communities in what's now Mexico adopted a blend of indigenous and Spanish and other European practices. And over the centuries, that blend morphed into the holiday and the bread that we have today. Um, during the 1700s, rulers in New Spain uh, actually tried to outlaw cemetery festivities. Um, and so during that, and they were like, this is too raucous. You guys are going too hard. Um, uh, you're celebrating too much. It's getting dangerous. Uh, so during that point and, and other points, like during the Mexican-American social movement of the 1960s, uh, symbolic traditions like ofrendas and pan de muerto have been forms of resistance. In 2010, jumping way ahead, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, UNESCO declared it an intangible cultural heritage of humanity. Mm -hmm. Or not Pandemorto specifically, but, uh, but Mexican cuisine in general, uh, including Day of the Dead symbolic foods. And um, El Dia de los Muertos, uh, more generally, was added to their list in 2008 as well. And, yeah, the pandemic really hit El Dia de los Muertos celebrations pretty hard. Mm -hmm. 
since they're often communal, or a lot of aspects of them certainly are, I found articles from folks who, in absence of the public celebration part, um, made sure to get Pan de Muertos. Um, Still, it inevitably impacted traditional bakers as well. Oh, sure. Uh, Yeah. Um, uh, Also, as discussed in our Marigolds episode, (laughs) thanks to things like the 2017 film Coco, I laugh because it comes up in every article, that's all. Um, (laughs) It It really does. Um, (laughs) About... um, El Dia de los Muertos, uh, Latinx communities, and especially younger folks in the community uh, have been reclaiming or even celebrating for the first time, especially outside of Mexico. Um, feeling like, okay, I would like to explore this. I would like to reconnect with this. Yeah. Yeah. And I found a good quote I wanted to end with from Adriana Velez at the Washington Post in 2020. Quote, For me, crafting this bread by hand is an embodied meditation. Through its very corporeal motions, I reflect on all the mythologies around the world of God's creating humans, of how they take substances from the earth and animate them, using nothing more than their bare hands. As I need, I am aware of my breath, my body, and I am a God using the alchemy of seeds, water, and motions to create life. When the dough rises, I admire my creation, filled as it is with spirits. I conquer death, if only for today, and I connect with my ancestors who helped me see past this momentary crisis. I feel the generations before and the generations to come. I cross dimensions of time and space. My ancestors have seen war, genocide, bondage, heartbreak, and yet here I am, their descendant, working dough in their honor for now. For those we lost this year, for those who will rise up in the future. Yeah. That's so good. That's pretty perfect. <laughs> That's really lovely. It is. It really is. It's a great article. Yeah. I suggest seeking it out. Um, oh, but yeah, listeners, we would love to hear from you about this. Um, oh, recipes, absolutely. history, pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Recommendations. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, heck. If, yeah. You, if, you got a, if you've got a favorite bakery, if... Um, if there's any other uh, holiday foods that are really important to you or that you add to an ofrenda for somebody who who's passed, who you love, yeah, let us know. Yes, please let us know. Um, but in the meantime, that's what we have to say for now. <laughs> it is. Uh, we do already have some listener mail for you, though, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. 
I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip together. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Listener mail. Like a light in the dark. Oh, A hug. Yeah. yeah. It is a little chilly in Atlanta right it now. It is. It is. My toes are cold. It's fine. My toes are too. And I'm wearing <laughs> socks. Uh, same. <laughs> uh, so we got a message from what the email subject line indicates Name is Stephen. <laughs> okay. Name is Stephen, mysterious. But at the bottom signed, a very pleased kafir witch. So, <laughs> so there we you don't go. know. But mm-hmm. there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoever it was, thanks for writing in. Uh, they wrote, After years of listening, waiting, and not even considering requesting it, you've done an episode on one of my special interests, kafir. I literally audibly gasped when I saw the episode hmm. title. My kefir journey began in childhood when my aunt used to make it using goat milk from her personal team of goats. (laughs) Since I was a snooty child, I thought it was gross. Uh, Though fascinating and refused to drink it. Cut to my mid-twenties and I ordered my own grains online and enjoyed many of my own homemade kefir creations. There are too many for me to list, but some highlights were lazy kefir sourdough bread and kefir sodas, which are made from the whey that you drain from the finished product. The bonus of draining the whey is that the milk-solid product that's left has the consistency of Greek yogurt and can be used as such in snacking and recipes. Sadly, I threw out my grains when I started nursing school and my life got too hectic, but I will order them again when the weather cools more thoroughly here in the West and the grains are more likely to survive the journey. Oh. Oh. There's so much to love here. Yes. Yes. Um... Also, team of goats, team, teams of goats, uh, kefir, yes. witchery, um, uh, yes, lazy sourdough bread, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, kefir sodas, heck, mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> I hope you write back in and let us know more about your grains if they make it. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, a little follow up would be great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Tell us all about like any time that anyone has a microbial community that they want. <laughs> let us know about please yes. do <laughs> please do 
<laughs> oh, um, Andrew wrote, long, long time. I am an episode or two behind, but your Colch episode inspired me to write in. There's a local brewery here in Indianapolis, a beer brewery, which does a once weekly, uh, let's have more than enough Colch service. Um, Alas, it's on Monday evening, so I've never gotten to participate, but I might just give it a go next time I have a Tuesday off of work. This brewery also does the best pumpkin ale around. As a much too experienced pumpkin beer drinker, I really do mean it when I say it's autumn in a glass. Uh, Y'all done a pumpkin beer episode? My favorite local place also does a citra hopped colch named the uh, Sammy Terry after a spooky regional TV host from years past. It's a great one for sitting on the porch and tossing a ball with our three dogs. Bonus fact, uh, the joint I'm referring to is a lovely, kitschy, horror-themed brewery, um, and half the space has now been converted into a Sammy Terry-dedicated dungeon for October. Bonus, bonus fact, uh, this is the same brewery that made a dill cult in support of Ukraine back in the early days of the ongoing conflict there. Another beer-related tidbit goes back to your soba episode. Another small place here does a soba ale brewed with buckwheat. Uh, The beer is fine, so I'm including this more because the brewery seems right up your alley. Uh, Books and Brews is a tap room in the back and used bookshop slash tabletop game center slash Funko Pop boutique in the front. It's one of the few places here where reading and quietly enjoying a brew is actually acceptable. Definitely worth a visit. P.S. Indy was just recently voted one of the top beer cities in the country by USA Today. If you ever make it to Gen Con, you'll have plenty of excellent spots to try. P.P.S. Since I brought up dill above, I have one last fun dill story to share. My wife's late grandmother would often bring a dill-flavored dip to family gatherings. The ubiquitous dip became simply known as Granny Dip. After Granny's passing several years ago, the recipe was willed to a cousin— love this, uh, who then gifted it to us for our wedding. Anytime either of our families are getting together, my wife will offer to make the dip, and my answer is 100% yes. <laughs> oh, granny dip. That willed. Is willed. The recipe was willed to a cousin and then gifted on the occasion of a wedding. This is so cool. That's so awesome. I want like a Game of Thrones level like <laughs> production of this. Uh, Who will get the granny dip recipe? (laughs) Right? So much better than the red or purple wedding gifts. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Also, yeah, all these breweries sound amazing. Yeah. Haunted Brewery, Book Brewery, (laughs) Soba Buckwheat Beer. Yeah. (laughs) I would be in so much trouble if we had a, a combo a uh, used bookstore and bar of any kind i would i would be i would be like half a beer in and i would be like i'm buying everything here literally yes. everything uh-huh yep mm-hmm. and then it would be even worse if it was kind of like haunted themed then <laughs> i'm never leaving <laughs> oh heck um also i do love a really uh, a regional tv host uh situation yes. and uh sammy terry sounds wonderful just delightful i love that too i love that the the level he has reached (laughs) that's fantastic oh that's so good well maybe one day lauren yeah yeah adding it adding it to our list of places to go yes our ever-growing list Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Oh, well, in the meantime, thanks to both of these listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX, now playing, and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.